0: Hello and welcome to episode 29 of the Pure Tokyo Scope podcast. I am Patrick Macias, the author of, let's see, what book should I shout out this time? <laughs> um,
1: just randomly pick one from the ground
0: bag. Cruising the Anime City, an otaku guide to Neo-Tokyo. That's a good one.
1: And I am Claudius Octavius of a Bob Guccione production of, no, I'm just kidding. I'm Matt Alt author of Pure Invention, How Japan Made the Modern World. And what a pleasure to be here on this wintry, wintry morning here in Tokyo.
0: All the tacky Christmas decorations are out in full force, and there's a certain fragrance in the air, and I think it's fried chicken, Matt.
1: I thought you were going to say something else, but yes, you know, it's kind of funny how Japan is, is such a, is, is, a place where religions kind of like mix and match really freely. Unlike in America where everybody feels the need to like, you know, slam open the door and stomp out and tell you just what their identity is. Like Japan is such a mishmash of things and they incorporate even though like less than 1% of Japan is Christian or like way less, it's like a tiny, tiny sliver of the population. Japan as a nation has wholeheartedly embraced Christmas. And uh, although like not many people set up Christmas trees and things like that, they love the decorations. And the other thing Japanese people love is on Christmas Day, going out to KFC and getting fried chicken. I'm not making this up.
0: I'm looking at this uh, news story we have as we go into the news segment here. And uh, the headline is KFC releases an otaku burger in Spain. And this ties into this whole Christmas time in Japan thing.
1: Yeah, I guess KFC is trying to like reverse market the fact that Japanese kind of grassroots turned KFC into a a Christmas tradition here in Japan and spread it all over the world. I don't think they're going to have much luck, but I would love to. T- is it a burger? This So in Spain, I know they have this otaku promotion. Is it a burger? Is it a chicken leg? First you ate the chicken, then you ate its egg. Is that is that how this goes?
0: The otaku burger looks to be a piece of fried chicken on like a hamburger bun with some teriyaki sauce. And that's the part that makes it Japanese and otaku, right? There's no there's teriyaki sauce coming out of the taps here in Japan, pretty much.
1: It's like, you know, the teriyaki boys, you know, it's like Benihana. I demand you start calling me teriyaki. Teriyaki from now on. That's going to be my new my new pen name. It's funny, you know, when I first came to Japan as a kid, I was expecting to encounter much more teriyaki sauce than I actually did. The only times you really see it are on, on like burgers and like things at fast food. Have you ever like gone to a Japanese restaurant here and had something teriyaki served up to you?
0: No, that's actually one of the most shocking things I can remember about coming to Japan was like, where's the teriyaki? Who do I have to kill to like get some chicken teriyaki here?
1: It's a conspiracy. This is much bigger than Hunter Biden's laptop. This is the real conspiracy. Where is the teriyaki? Why have we been lied to our whole lives? So they have the Otaku burger in Spain, and you know, they have some advertising
0: promotional material for it that includes kind of like a really terrible manga rendering of Colonel Sanders that looks kind of like the Pringles guy. <laughs> yeah, it's kind of like if Hello Kitty and the Pringles guy had a kid, and the posters all say in bright, friendly Japanese, in Japan, it's customary to eat KFC at Christmas. I think it's mandatory to eat KFC in Christmas here.
1: Actually, there was talk of revoking long-term residency visas to anybody, uh, any foreigner who is caught not eating fried chicken on uh, Christmas Day. So you got to be careful about that if you are uh, if you happen to be visiting here during that time.
0: Yeah, you know how there's like the NHK guy who goes door to door to make sure you're paying your license fee for your TV? There's also the KFC guy who comes around every Christmas
1: and like, you, you will Will be penalized. Does he does he is he dressed like in like armor reminiscent of that like those giant fiberglass statues of uh, Colonel Sanders standing outside of every Japanese KFC. Those I was I always used to wonder like why don't we have these in America? They wouldn't last 10 seconds in America, like a life size Colonel Sanders statue. Those things would be like jacked and kidnapped faster than you can say Kentucky Fried Chicken. So this time of year I do kind of keep an
0: eye on the local KFC here in the Shotengai in the shopping arcade and as Christmas approaches it gets kind of like more militarized like they suddenly have like security guards posted outside and like the lines get longer. And then like on Christmas day, it literally is like, you know, like doorbusters, like Black Friday, like madness. And they run out real fast. And KFC for Christmas thing is a real thing here. Like as much as we joke about it, it's not a joke. There's nothing funny about
1: KFC and Christmas, Matt. Never joke. The funny, actually the really funny thing is how amazing Japanese karaage fried chicken is. Like if you have a hankering for fried chicken, why not get some Japanese karaage? <laughs> Which, no offense to the Colonel, I personally think is way better than mass-produced uh, fast food uh, chicken, you know. Uh, KFC has its place, I'm not I'm not like, you know, slamming at you if you love KFC, but there's so many, God, Yakitori, there's so much great chicken available in the, in the Japanese idiom. It's kind of strange that people have glommed on to this American one.
2: The fast food business in Japan has expanded 600% in the last 10 years, and is now overtaking the automobile industry the Japanese spend $65 billion a year on dining out. Naturally, everyone wants a piece of the action. Question, can a gentleman from Kentucky make it in the land of the rising sun? Tonight on Enterprise, the Colonel comes to Japan. Opening 50 stores a year takes big money, and whenever big money is involved, lawyers careful to report to Mitsubishi Trading Company, the multi-billion dollar conglomerate which is half owner of Kentucky Fried Chicken Japan. So it turns out that this entire
1: fad can be traced back to one man who managed a KFC, one of the very first in Japan in Nagoya in 1970. He overheard foreign people saying how much they missed eating turkey at Christmas and decided to step up, uh, with chicken instead and, and be and kind of like market himself as a Christmas place to go. Not just any kind of chicken, but finger-licking good chicken. Exactly, with the Colonel's 11 herbs and spices. So in 1974, Kentucky Fried Chicken pivoted hard into this with a Kentucky Christmas campaign. Like they actually decorated those, those paper buckets, you know, the ones you wear on your head after you've had too many drinks, or is that just me, and uh, actually started marketing it. So this is a early to mid-70s uh, sort of thing that was actually successfully pushed by KFC here in Japan. So they have like these party boxes that you get here, and it's not just it's not just chicken. There's like other stuff in there too. This is like an ad. We should be we should be charging KFC for this. But uh at any rate, that's the story.
0: No, yeah, but I feel like Domino's is also sort of trying to grasp onto New Year's Eve with like similar, you know, zeal, like trying to get everyone to order Domino's.
1: I think there's an aspect of this which is cultural in the sense that traditionally in Japan, during New Year's, you would eat these these elaborately prepared uh, bento boxes kind of called osechi that are full of kind of seasonal treats. And the idea way back in time was that you'd, you'd prepare these and then you wouldn't have to cook for the next like 3 or 4 days or whatever or week even
0: cuz you're just like laying under a kotatsu watching TV. Yeah,
1: and like back in time like everything in Japan closed for like a week around New Year's. Like now that doesn't happen anymore. But I think the idea of hey, take a load off, you know, and like let somebody else do the cooking for you, like you know, you don't have to cook because it's New Year's or Christmas or something, that is is the kind of cultural the fertile cultural soil from which these new Japanese fusion traditions spring. I'm mad at all no I'm just kidding but the I'm I'm serious about the fertile soil, though. I think that's where that's coming from.
0: I'm serious about the fried chicken because in the other news story we have this week, Pepsi releases a new cola in Japan specifically for Karaage fried chicken. It's a colorless beverage containing special ingredients to enhance
1: the flavor of Japan's national dish. Special ingredients, special ingredients. I'm trying to imagine what could. I, you know, I I like I like you know cola with with fried or greasy food. It, I prefer like a highball, but. Um, um, I can kind of see this working. We should set the stage here by saying Pepsi, like KitKat, another big major corporation that loves preying on people's penchant for novelty, loves to release like kind of seasonal variations. A couple years ago, there was like a, a cucumber Pepsi that came out and they've had all sorts of different kinds. But this is the first time I've ever seen a company say, hey, this is like optimized for fried food. The the highball companies like Suntory have really been pushing that. hey, highballs go well with fried chicken for a while. That's been going on for like five or six years years and guess what it does. But now I guess with the, you know, there's been a real drop off as we discussed in previous episodes of young people drinking. It's an epic crisis, Patrick, of of national proportions that young people aren't getting wasted as much as they used to. So I think this kind of fits into that demographic shift a little bit. You know, Pepsi's like, well, if you're not going to drink booze, you can at least drink this manufactured corporate product with your manufactured corporate fried chicken. See, I was hoping the Pepsi was like re-engineered to taste like Karaage,
0: to taste like fried chicken, but it's actually just meant to cut through the oiliness and refresh your palate like, I don't take fried chicken that seriously. As much as I as much as much I love to talk about it on this podcast, Right. right. I don't go, you know what I was wishing? If there was just only some kind of special product that could like cut through the oiliness and refresh my palate a little bit.
1: Chinese people have had this down for like millennia. Tea, tea works really well too, like hot tea. You know, it's like, it's not like the world demanded this. But I mean, this is like late capitalism, like invent a demand and then create a product to satiate it. That's the, uh, that's the way it goes. No, if only there was some kind of ad agency that could help brainwash
0: me to buy all these new products. Something like that would really help. But apparently, uh, there's some news on that front as well. The next and final story in our new segment, ad giant Dentsu raided over alleged Tokyo Olympics bid rigging. Matt, there's friggin' in the riggin'.
1: Wow, if I wasn't a more big-hearted person, I'd almost think like the Olympics were a patently felonious endeavor. I, this, how many times have we covered corruption in the Olympics now? Like, it seems like it's every other episode. Well,
0: I had predicted Densu was gonna be next up against the wall, and last Friday, they searched the offices of Densu and a bunch of other people on suspicion of involvement in bid rigging for contracts related to test events ahead of last year's games, and Densu acknowledged being searched publicly, and they said, we apologize for causing trouble. We will fully cooperate with the investigation. And also, they added, we would have gotten away with it too if it hadn't have been for you meddling kids.
1: Well, it's it's you know when they say they search Densu's offices, like Densu has this like massive building in like Minatoku. It's like this like knife shaped. It's like the Tyrell Corporation. I'm just like imagining. <laughs> I'm imagining like the the guys going up in the elevator, like you know, like JF Sebastian. It's, not everyone gets to meet their maker, uh, and Densu made us. Densu really made like their their fingers are in every pie it seems like in Japan all over the place from like your favorite series to like you know, scandals involving the Olympics or there was a big one where like they worked a employee to death a couple years ago. Densu is the kind of like death star of the Japanese pop cultural machine. So it's, you know, I'm not exactly shocked that they're involved in some way in this because they're involved in some way in everything. We need to get to the bottom of this. We need to like go to the top of the Densu Tower. We need to meet with the guy in the robe, you know, who's like playing chess up there and like, you know, demand answers, Patrick. We can do this. Let's go. I need more fried chicken. What happens? We can ask Dentsu, what happens if you put whiskey in the Pepsi that is optimized for for fried chicken? I don't
0: want to ask Dentsu anything. Those guys (laughs) freak me out. Um, There's this old article that I pulled from my blog in 2007, and uh, there was a magazine called Saizo that was kind of like a subcultural take on Japanese business, which was a really great magazine. Is Saizo still around? I don't know if they are. Yeah, I think so. They got a hold of Dentsu's Ten Commandments, and uh, they are crazy. We're going to... Get our, um, our evil AI computer voice to read a
1: few of them. Is this open AI? Okay, yeah, I want to hear this. I want to hear this. Get involved with major projects. Small projects equal small people. Wow, that's, you know, it's not the size. It's It's how you use the project is what I was always told. Don't stop until you have accomplished your work, even if it kills you. That does not say that, does it say
2: it
0: that? It does,
1: it does. <laughs> oh my, oh my Maybe god! Maybe
0: metaphorically, like if it kills your soul, like most job salary men have in Japan.
1: They literally got accused of killing one of their employees this way. That's when is this from? Two thousand six. Oh. Man, wow. So this is before that. Someone took it too literally, you know? Yeah, apparently. That was like 2017 when that happened. It was like, it was one of the big Karoshi cases, you know, Karoshi being the Japanese. It's so telling. Japan has this like compact idiomatic word for being worked to death, Karoshi. And this was one of the big, big, it was it like 2006, 17? Like the, it's like overworked employee, uh, ended up like, it's really terrible. They ended up killing themselves. So like, it's th- the fact that that's in their commandments is just really gross. Wow. Okay. But it gets better. I'm assuming, right? Drive other people crazy. Don't let it happen to you. Wow. Okay. That's kind of words to live by if you're like a sociopath, I guess. Okay. Next. Don't be afraid of conflict. Conflict is the mother of advancement. Without aggressiveness, you will become a person of regret.
0: Wow. Okay. That's deep, man. That's This is like the
1: opposite of a fortune cookie. This is like a bad luck cookie. Well, this aggressiveness, this is like starting to sound like Twitter under Elon Musk. Are you going to be hardcore dude bro? Um, So I guess this kind of is shared across psychopathic uh, corporate cultures. It's interesting. It crosses boundaries. We'll see who gets in trouble next for corruption in the Olympics.
0: Maybe Mr. Donut uh, or maybe Colonel Sanders or... No,
1: Patrick. No, because Colonel Sanders will swoop in to save us from corruption. He fights for us. He fights for justice and gently breaded chicken breasts. Pepsi Man, maybe? Where is Pepsi Man? Where's he been? He was so big at the turn of the millennium. I guess he lost the Cola Wars. He wasn't aggressive enough. And with that, we will cut to a commercial and carry on
0: with our feature attraction.
1: Ow!
0: he's all
2: new with gleaming fangs just for you. Dracula, AD 1972. Drac is back, and this time he really knocked those bats out of your belfry. Dracula into a new scene, beating up on the now generation with a kiss that leaves them screaming, and not for more. Dracula, A.D. 1972. Dig it before they bury him again. Plus, for all you lovers of the macabre, it's crescendo, the highest pitch of terror you can reach. Christopher Lee and Peter Cushing star in Dracula, A.D. 1972. James Olsen and Stephanie Powers star in Crescendo, both masterworks of chilling horror and suspense from Warner Brothers. Rated PG, rental guidance suggested.
0: Matt, it's a very special day here in the Messias household here in Tokyo, Japan. It's my birthday. I don't want to make too big a deal out of it.
1: Oh man, are you going? Are
0: you going to Chuck E. Cheese? The nearest Chuck E. Cheese is uh, 3,000 miles away. I looked it up on a map. I have to take a, a plane or a boat, and I don't think that's gonna happen.
1: Well, well, happy birthday. Am I allowed to ask how many years young you are? I'm 50. like 50 cent, the big 5-0. Like Hawaii 5 0? Yeah, so I'm old as dirt now. But man, so much has happened in those 50 years. So much has you've grown so much. And, and 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 transformed like a Beast Wars character into your ultimate form. Are you guys going to Gobatron for your birthday? What, are you, what are they, do you? I wish. Do they serve steaks on Gobatron?
0: I don't just have a birthday, Matt. I have a birthday event horizon that sucks other things into it. I begin to pay attention to the year 1972, which is 50 years ago, and I found this awesome article online by our buddy Dave Merrill called "1972: The Year Anime Got Groovy." And I started thinking about uh, everything that was happening in 1972, 50 years ago. I think people are so obsessed now with the 80s because of, I don't know, God knows why, because of Stranger Things, because of City Pop and all that. And I'm bored with the 80s, Matt. I want to go back to
1: 1972. Well, you know, yes, it's true. The 70s are the 80s of the 90s, you could say. Um, Does that even make sense? I agree. It's time to go back to those days of disco. And actually, 72 was a really, really pivotal, pivotal moment for Japanese anime. Like There were some pretty amazing things happening.
0: Dave's article sets the stage with 1972 by talking about Nixon was in the White House, uh, in trouble with Watergate. Uh, There were exciting movies in the theater, such as Blackula, uh, The Godfather, which I put on about the same level as Blackula.
1: And certainly in terms of cultural impact.
0: And uh, while I was too young, because I was either unborn or I was newborn, to watch The Flip Wilson Show, Brady Bunch, The Partridge Family, and um, my favorite anime of all time, Joe seen The Pussycats in
1: Outer Space. That is pretty groovy. You know, all of those, all of these names that you're saying, like I kind of associate them with a late boomer, kind of like that Tarantino generation. Cause I, they were always, that that was kind of old news by the time I was growing up, but that's big stuff. And that's all happening in America. So what's happening in Japan? I should mention here for this. I, I was born in 73. I was born in September of 1973. So, you know, get your presents and like checkbooks ready for next September rolling up. So I was, I was not even a sperm at this point. I was like atoms in the air or something. But what was going on in Japan? I was sensing it like the E-Day. It was like flowing through my cosmos. I would say like the
0: 70s really got rolling with the arrival of like three major icons. One of them, of course, was uh, Science Ninja Team Gotcha Man. Oh, yes. AKA Battle of the Planets. You know, I didn't see it until it popped up post-Star Wars as uh, Battle of the Planets on America TV, but like that show had so much good quality animation and storytelling, like it still looked very modern when I saw it like, you know, seven years later after Star Wars.
1: Yeah, like I we didn't realize it at the time, but it's very geeky got. Like- Like it takes the. Like, there was a big revolution happening in manga around that time where there. In the late 60s, where artists moved from like Tezuka's cartoony styles to this kind of rougher, more rough and tumble style called Gekiga. And Tatsunoko Productions, who made Gachaman, was one of the first animation companies to be able to translate that with like all the speed lines and like the dramatic shading and the big like eyebrows and angular features. They were the one of the first ones to translate it to the television screen. And it was really, really awesome. Like my only regret is that I didn't get to see Gachaman as a kid and I had to see Battle of the Planets, which was horrifically sanitized.
0: like seven Zark Seven and One Rover One.
2: Human love is such a beautiful and mysterious thing. But I think I know how Aaron and Diane felt. There are times when I get this strong, urgent need in my capacitators for something. And I'm sure it's love. Of course I'm very fond of you, One Rover One, but I was thinking of something just a little different.
1: I did like Seven Zark 7, although I kind of wanted to see him and R2-D2 get into a fist fight. I mean, although Seven Zark 7 actually had fists and R2-D2 didn't. This point
0: in Japanese pop culture and world pop culture is pretty significant because it's pre-Star Wars. And I think like after Star Wars, there were so many Star Wars ripoffs. Yes. Everything was about space war, which was great because that led to wonderful things like Crusher Joe and Gundam. But at this point, people really had to like innovate and like, why not make like a team of science ninjas?
1: Oh, definitely. It's the first really Sentai show in a Lot of ways. Although like, a, you know, Go Ranger is coming out around that time too. But like, I think it all can be, Go Ranger actually comes out after that. I think it can all be traced back to Gotcha Man. Like, you know, now there's this global love affair with like team ups and like the Avengers and stuff like that. Japan got there first. Japan arguably perfected it. And Gotcha Man is kind of the epitome of that perfection, I think. But what other shows were out? I know, but I want you to say them. I want to like go, f- I want to freak out when I hear them.
0: Uh There's a twofer... Uh, from Go to Guy, two characters of his celebrating 50th anniversaries this year. It's Devilman and Mazinger Z.
1: Wow. Like what a combination. Like it's the power of evil and good. I love Devil Man. It's like this, it's like the story of like if you know you if if you join forces with Satan for good reasons, you can save the world. And Mazinger Z is like, if you're lucky enough for your grandfather to gift you a giant robot with like unfathomable powers, you can save the world.
0: Mazinger Z was not obviously the first giant robot from Japan. There was t- Tetsujin 28 sort of like set the mold, but Mazinger Z kind of took it to the next level in so many different ways.
1: Well, especially, you know, the, the way that it mostly took it to the next level was the fact there was a dude piloting it. That was like that was like the real, as Japanese would say, epoch-making, you know, twist. Up until that point, you know, Tetsujin 28, aka Gigantor, it was really cool, but, you know, you, you had to control him. Jimmy Sparks had to control him with a remote control box. You had to wear those short pants, you know? It wasn't really cool. And actually, at the same time as Mazinger 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 Z debuted in 72, there was a show called Astro Ganger that's kind of a similar sort of thing. It's like a semi-sentient robot. And so, but you don't really remember Astro Ganger anymore because Mazinger Z so thoroughly, thoroughly dominated. You know, Delman was a hit, but like Mazinger Z was like transformed. It was profoundly, profoundly transformative on, like, the childhood psyche. And not only did it kick off this whole new genre of, hey, it's much cooler if the dude is inside the robot instead of standing outside of it in, like, a Speedo, it also, like, kicked off this whole kind of industrial revolution in Japan of toy making because the first real toy portrayals of Mazinger Z wouldn't start coming out for a year or two after the the animation debuted. Actually, the first Mazinger Z toy was the the Jumbo or the big, giant, plastic versions of uh, robots that became the Shogun Warriors series in the in the States later on. It really was a revolution in so many ways. And where would I be without it? That's really the question. I wouldn't be here if it wasn't for all of those toys. You either, probably. Watch the Mazinger Z opening, even if you haven't seen it, even if you're not into giant robot shows, it is so, so, so worth it. You can also watch
0: the English language version of the Mazinger Z opening.
2: Play it, play it. Cody so can swim in the sky, he can fly beneath the sea In his robot man, nursing singer sea nothing or its price and stronger than his enemies Driving from his little time he can protect the peace From his race, he supply, launching a rocket paint. From his chest, laser fire, fighting with light energy. Nothing go, magic, go, magic.
1: That that is amazing because it's one of like there's a lot of re-recorded anime theme songs but this is one of the few that's actually recorded by the guy who recorded the original.
0: It's almost as good as some of the other musical highlights of 1972 like Ziggy Stardust or like Exile on Main Street from the Rolling Stones. It goes toe to toe
1: with those. It goes rocket punch to rocket punch.
0: It would be amiss if we didn't talk about some of the Tokusatsu and live action films that happened in Japan in 72. Um, I, Matt, I know you're a big fan of Godzilla vs. Megalon. That's kind of your favorite of the schlocky Godzilla movies. My personal favorite is Godzilla vs. Gigan.
1: Oh, uh, man. The first
0: appearance of Gigan. It's the, the evil cockroaches from outer space decide to take over uh, Earth using a giant Godzilla-themed
2: amusement park. I want to make this place even better than it is. Do you have any ideas? Any suggestions? I don't think you got enough monsters. Kids will want to play with them. You need some more. Like Shukra and Mamagan. Shukra? Mamagan? The homework monster. And the monster of strict mothers.
1: Yes, the giant Godzilla themed amusement park. God, it's amazing.
0: And it also has uh, a scene in the American version where Godzilla and Angelus talk to each other in English voices for the first time. Is this real? Come on, Anguilas, there's a lot of trouble ahead. Not my favorite Godzilla movie, but if I want to watch one of the bad ones with a lot of stock footage uh, and recycled music, that's usually my go-to.
1: But Gigan, so like what happened? Like Gigan is awesome. Like as, as a character, as a design, he's like, it's like he's really complicated, but it actually kind of all holds together. I feel like, you know, in modern times, a lot of times designs get super complicated and they don't hold together, but Gigan is like, is he a chicken? Is he is he some kind of insect? Is he a dinosaur? Is he a bird? You know, it's, it's all of these kind of parts. Is he is Zaku with that like kind of like sunglasses that he's wearing? I don't know. All I know is he's awesome. So while the Godzilla movies were sort of uh,
0: had a big problem there with like budget and like uh, making you know good movies Toei did not have that problem Rival Studio Toei was kind of uh, at the pinnacle of their kind of trash movie phase and in 1972 they released Female Prisoner Scorpion Sasori with Kajimako which is the uh, which is a real classic and also director Kenji Fukusaku delivered a stunner with 1972's Street Mobster it was uh, a really really wild kind of down and dirty movie showing like the not chivalrous side of the Yakuza, which kind of set the stage for the Jingi Naki Tatakai Battles Without Honor and Humanity Yakuza films. So That was kind of their first classic, I think. As far as Jidai Geki and like swordplay movies go, there were four Lone Wolf and Cub movies in 1972 alone. Jesus, they churned them out back then, didn't they? I think it was six movies
1: in like two years or something like that. Did they did like, did like they ever stop filming? Like, it's just like, we're going to keep, keep going, keep going. We're going to, we'll use this footage in the next movie. Well, the, the thing the thing I love about those films is like how like uncharismatic, I don't want to say uncharismatic cause he's amazingly charismatic. The star, but like he doesn't—he doesn't look like you would ever like expect a hero to look like. Like they just don't make actors like that anymore. You know, if they made this today, it would be some beautiful boy band guy who they just kind of must his hair. Nobody looks as good as uh, Tomi Shibura Wakayama. Yeah, he's got a bit of the fat dragon about him. Well, he's, he looks like dissipated. You know what I mean? And it's great. It works so well in that in that role. By the way, speaking of which, if I might connect the speaking of of Jidaigae. Isn't 1972, if I'm not mistaken, when a certain Katsu Productions released Hanzo the Razor, Sword of Justice, Goyokiba? It is it's December 72. How do, how would you describe Hanzo the Razor to your friends and family, Matt, <laughs> without, without getting without getting arrested by the podcast police? It's a really really Hanzo the Razor is based on a manga by Koiki Kazuo who also uh you know worked on of course Lone Wolf and Cub. It's about a cop in Edo period Japan and it's all centered around the fact that he has a I'm, I'm quoting this from from Wikipedia, quote, so it's not my fault. "Quote unquote, he has an outlandishly large penis, which is a recurring theme, and he uses it to interrogate women." Trigger warning: This is not a; th- these are not like uh, uh, I wouldn't call them fun films. They're very 1970s films, 70s sex exploitation films. They're like they really skirt the line between like drama and porn. Actually, they don't skirt it; they go way over the line.
0: And I don't really know what the tone is when I watch those movies because I'm like laughing hysterically the whole time as he's like, you know, powering himself up by like training on bags of rice and like hitting himself with like um it's like he's making mochi with like his private parts. Yes. And the music is like this incredibly super funky black exploitation yeah.
1: music. I actually I'm not saying this just to be politically correct or anything. I actually don't like the interrogation scenes at all. What I really love is what you're talking about. He like there's these there's these long sequences of him training himself, pouring boiling water on his crotch, like hitting himself with like a with like a stick, you know, the bags of rice, like he, he's he's doing it he has all these tools for powering himself up and it goes on and on and on. And then there's an amazing scene where he's like in a bathtub and he gets attacked by ninja Ninja and like his whole house has been gimmicked with traps, and like it goes on for like ten minutes. Like the razor blade, the needle launchers, the like the giant like you know axes swinging from the ceiling. It's it's just an amazing, amazing scene. It's like he lives inside of Digero's baby cart or something. Like that. <laughs> Is this who Digero grew up to become? Like I I like to imagine there's some kind of bridge between these two things. So anyway, very not politically correct. But it was a, I don't even know if it was a hit. It was definitely a thing. I mean, Shinto, Katsu Shintaro, it stars him. He was like a major star in Japan. He's Atoichi, yeah. Yeah, so like this wasn't some kind of like underground production. It was like a, a major, 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 uh, you know, film release.
0: Yeah, there were three Hanzo the Razor movies in all. And, uh, you know, if you want to go that way, you know, knock yourself out, man. 1972 was a wild, wild year, no matter which way you cut it. So while the other big thing that happened in 1972 didn't necessarily happen in Japan, it had big implications, which was something you pointed out to me recently on Twitter, Matt, which was the invention of the first Pong machine.
1: Yes. Big moment in uh, global history. So Pong debuted in 1972 in a Silicon Valley tavern, a bar. It was Andy Cap's Tavern, I think it's called. And they put it in there amongst the pinball machines and lo and behold, Video games conquered the world. But yes, this is the big... Actually, I think it's really important to note something, Patrick, to bring this around full circle because it's your birthday. Pong was created by a company that was run by one Nolan Bushnell, who went on to found Atari. And he also went on to found what Patrick Chuck E. Cheese Pizza Time Theater. That's where you're going, baby, because it's your birthday.
0: Yeah, I guess I'll take a break from Shaky's for uh, for one week and hang out with Chucky, Pasquale, Mr. Munch. I'm trying to remember other Chuck E. Cheese characters, and
1: my mind is a blank. I went to so many Chuck E. Cheese birthday parties as a kid, and I literally, I, I was, I ran from the room when those when those cre- creepy animatronic things were on. I just wanted to play Spy Hunter over and over and over again. You
0: know, sometimes I. Will, when I've had too much to drink, watch Chuck E. Cheese videos on YouTube. And there's one of uh, actually for my birthday, I want to share with everyone this special message of love. It's Chuck E. Cheese and the gang singing Michael Jackson's "The Man in the Mirror."
2: Only kidding, Chuckie. I've changed my tune because I finally thought of a possible dream that we can all share. What, what is that? it? It's a dream about a world when nobody is poor or sick or hungry. Oh, oh. now. That- a dream we can make come true i'm gonna make a change for once in my life it's gonna feel real good gonna make a difference gonna make it right as i With not enough to eat Who am I to be blind Pretending not to see them
1: you beat that? You can't beat that. You can't beat it with
0: a baseball bat, Matt, although you might want to try.
1: Well, that about sums it up for this episode. Thank you to everybody who listens to our rambling. You are the only people who listen to our rambling. You shape our lives and give it meaning. So see you <laughs> See you next time. See you next week. Same bat time, same bat channel. Thanks for listening.
2: Like we know we should Eleven herbs and spices Make a finger licking good We don't freeze roller chopping it. It's chicken, nothing more That's a real good reason Why smart folks come here more It's so nice, nice to be.